0: About states' rights. But anyway, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. And one other thing, I'd like to uh, compliment the church on a good representation at the funeral of Vicki. And so, praise the Lord, we had a good number there from this church, had a good number from the Marcus Hook Church, a good number from Collingswood and uh, so praise the Lord for that funeral for the witness that was given out and uh, Vicki's family was there they're Chinese and she used to talk about how her family were not Christians and that uh, she was praying for them and witnessing to them and so hopefully they got a good witness there at the funeral and hopefully the Lord will work in their lives now. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 8. We're continuing with our study of 2 Kings. And we're up to chapter, actually we're really up to chapter 7, the end of chapter 6, but we're going to go back there to next week. That's a good uh, passage for communion. So we're going to do that next week. And this week we are doing chapter 8. And chapter 8 is, here we have talking about Elisha here. You know, 2 Kings is the history of Israel, basically, the northern kingdom. And Chronicles is basically the history of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so here we have the history of the northern kingdom. We have Elisha and Elisha here in 2 Kings. And so here it's interesting. We had a lesson in Sunday school this morning about Eutychus, about how he got raised from the dead. And here we, and we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, uh, this raising of Elisha, where he raised the Shunammite's son to life. And this is talked about right in this passage here that we're going through today. And so we read this in our responsive reading. We're not going to go through here and read everything again. But anyway, uh, here we have, it talks about the lady whose son had been restored to life in chapter 8 and verse 1. And Elisha had told her to go and flee the land because there was going to be a famine. And it says here, the Lord had called for a famine. And, you know, why don't we have famines here in America today? You know, today we have a few little shortages today, supply line shortages, but, you know, we haven't had any famines here. And it's because of our heritage. It's because of our godly heritage, our f- godly forebears, people that were influenced by the Bible. Uh, we've been watching a uh, uh, some a documentary on t- Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was not really a Christian, but he was one of the founding fathers and was influenced by Christian principles. And it's interesting on the documentary about him, uh, Karen played this morning, Be Thou My Vision, and on the documentary, the theme song all through the documentary is Be Thou My Vision, and of course, that goes back to the Christian heritage that we have in this nation, and that's why we don't have those famines, and they've had famines in other parts of the world. They're having famines today in in Africa, in East Africa, but praise the Lord for his blessings upon us through our godly forebears. Well, anyway, uh, so here the king wanted to hear about Elisha and about how he raised the son of the Shunammite to life. And it's interesting that just as he was being told about this, who comes in but this Shunammite, this lady? She comes in at the very moment he's hearing about that. Is Is it a coincidence? No. God... You can see the working of God in our world around us by the timing of things. The exact timing shows us God's working. Is it a coincidence this morning that we're studying about Elisha raising this boy to life, and we talked about Eutychus in Sunday school this morning? It's not a coincidence. God works everything together, and we can see his timing. And God teaches us through the timing of things. I remember when I was in a church at Milford, uh, Delaware, and we had door-to-door. We used to go out door-to-door there. Just I think we did it in the evening there. But anyway, uh, we had door-to-door just like we do here. And uh, so one day we had door-to-door, and one of the ladies of the church, uh, she one of the pillars of the church, she didn't come out to the door-to-door. So then the next Sunday, she told me, you know, it was a good thing I didn't go out door-to-door because I got sick at that very time. Now, what, what, what can we tell from that? Actually, I'd say there's more of the lesson there that she might not have gotten sick if she had gone out door-to-door. And uh, so God tells us by the timing of things, the timing of things. I mean, that's not necessarily true in that situation, but I just wonder about that. And so anyway, then we go on. Uh, Elisha raised this young man to life. The king hears about it and the woman comes in and then he decrees that her property would be restored to her, all the crops restored to her. Uh, from the time she left and God blessed this lady here that Elisha had worked with and you know that's an, an interesting principle of the Old Testament the Old Testament has ceremonial laws civil laws and moral laws the moral laws are still binding today but the ceremonial law has been done away but there were civil laws as well and there were laws for whipping those that uh, had uh, done crimes and for putting them to death and things like that. But you know also in the Old Testament civil law, it had the principle of restitution. That a victim should be restored the things that are stolen. That, uh, uh, that the person that stole the things should have to pay back the victim. We don't have any of that today in America. The victim is just left out in the cold and no restitution, no paying back, none of that. But that's how it's set up here in the Bible and that's good how it should be. Then we go on to verse 7 of chapter 8. And Elisha came to Damascus. He went out of Israel a little bit. And the king of Syria was sick. Everybody gets sick. The most famous people, the most powerful people, the kings and queens and the lowliest people, everybody gets sick and everybody dies. That's the principle of life. And God is in control of everything and man is not in control. The king is not in control. He gets sick. And so the king wanted to know if he was going to recover of the disease that he had. And he knew that Elisha was a prophet of the Lord. Even though he didn't believe in the Lord, he knew Elisha was a prophet. And so he sent a messenger to talk to Elisha about his sickness. And that brings us down to verse 10, the last verse we read in our responsive reading. And Elisha said unto him, Go say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. Howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. That's an interesting response there. Uh, You can take that a couple different ways. Uh, You could uh, focus here, because it seems like a contradiction there. He says, you're supposed to tell him he mayest certainly recover, but I know he's going to die. And the thing is, you might focus here on the word may, he may certainly recover if it's not for being murdered a little bit later by his successor. Or it might be uh, that the merciful thing was to tell him that he was all right and not to make him be too discouraged when he was dying. And you know, sometimes you don't want to tell somebody that's dying or somebody that's in bad shape all. The truth about how they are. And they can't really expect that they're going to get all of that all the time. Uh, we were watching a movie recently, uh, Papillon, about an escapee from De- Devil's Island, a uh, true story of the French prison camp. But anyway, they were in, in solitary confinement there, the prisoner that it focuses on. And they had certain times that the only time they saw other people was when they had to stick their head out of the cell and get a message or whatever, or be inspected or something. Well, anyway, the, uh, uh, the, they had their heads all sticking out of the cell, and the guy asked them from the cell next door, how do I look? And, of course, he looked like he was about dead. He looked really bad. And the guy shook his head and said, oh, you look good. You look good. And, of course, he had died He died then very soon afterward. And then it has later on in the movie the same guy sticks his head out and he asks the guy next to him, how do I look? And he looked really horrible. And the guy says, oh, you look all right. And uh, it's a merciful thing to do sometimes to not tell them the whole truth of when they're very sick. And uh, so anyway, that's what we have here. Perhaps, or maybe it's the focus on the word mayest. It seems like a contradiction. And then we go on here to verse 11. Verse 11, we continue on with this passage, and he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, "'Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel, their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword, and wilt dash their children, and rip up their children with child.' And Hazael said, "'But what, is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing?' And Elisha answered, "'The Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria.' So he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said unto him, What said Elisha to thee? And he answered, He told me that thou shouldest surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his stead. Well, here we have Elisha gives a prophecy of Hazael here, that he would take the place of Ben-Hadad. And Hazael would do great evil to Israel back in those days. Uh, When you lost in the war, it was calamitous uh, many times. The young men would be slain with the sword, to dash their children in pieces, rip up their women with child. It wasn't any nice thing when the heathen would take over your country. But Hazael says, am I a dog to do this? Dogs are not regarded in very high esteem in the Bible. We talked about that back in Revelation, when it said Revelation without our dogs. And dogs seem to be homosexuals in that context in the Bible. And anyway, is thy servant a dog right here. Goliath said, am I a dog that you come unto me with a sling? And dogs were not regarded very highly, and not like here in the United States today. I noticed just recently, uh, right next to Christiana Mall there in Delaware, they have a dog emergency room there, a pet emergency room, and it's a 24-hour-a-day you can bring your pets there to the emergency room. Well, you know, I like dogs, I like cats, I like animals, but they're not on the same level as people. And today, people like to put them on the same level as people. They talk about, I have two children, I have two dogs. Well, it's not the same as children. But they take the place of their children, unfortunately. And so we here we have Hazael, he brings to pass, he helps along the prophecy of him taking over from ben hadad He takes a thick cloth, he dips it in water and spreads it on the face of the very sick ben Hadad and kills him so that he can take his place. And so it's not obvious that he's been murdered. And, of course, that's been a a way of doing things since the beginning of time with a thick cloth with water. They still do it today. They talk about waterboarding. That is a a technique of torture uh, that the U.S. has used some. Uh, At least that's what they said. And it's basically something like this, except you don't go to the point of killing the person, but uh, making it seem like they're going to die. Then we go on here to verse 16, continuing through 2 Kings chapter 8. And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David, his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him always a light and to his children. So here we continue on with the history of the kings here. And it seems here that Jehoshaphat was still king over Judah down in the south. We're not really covering the history of Judah too much in this book, but we get some notes about it here. And Jehoshaphat, what kind of a king was he? He was a good king, basically, but he had a big problem, and we're going to look at that a little bit later. But anyway, he was basically a good king, Uh, But it looks like here it says he was then king of Judah and then Jehoram began to reign. It Looks like he turned over the kingdom to his son before he died. Uh, He thought he was getting up in age and he'd turn it over to his son. I, I read a book from back in American history, an old author, I I think it might have been Addison Alexander, but anyway, somebody way back, and they were talking about different things, and they were saying that you don't want to turn over your business or your affairs or your house to to your children until you absolutely have to. And I think that was good advice. I've known people that have turned over things and they regretted it later on. And so you don't want to do it until you absolutely have to, but here... Jehoshaphat turned over things to Jehoram. Maybe he absolutely had to at that point, I don't know. And we'll say more about Jehoshaphat going on and Jehoram his son. But in verse 18, it gives us the detail about Jehoram his son, that the daughter of Ahab was his wife. The daughter of Ahab. And so Jehoshaphat, he was a good king, but he made a really big mistake he thought he would get in good with the northern kingdom of Israel. He thought he'd make peace by having his son marry the daughter of the king of Israel. And that's always been a practice down through history of kingdoms. In Europe it was the practice way back the kings would all and they would all mix up their families for alliances. But anyway, he wanted to have this alliance, and he had the daughter of Ahab become the wife of his son. And that was a terrible thing, and it brought all kinds of evil to Judah after that. But we'll get back to that. And then, verse 19: Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David, his servant's sake. Why haven't we had famines here in the United States? For all these godly forebears, Stonewall Jackson, George Washington, uh, all the godly forebears, Samuel Davies, the pilgrims. For their sakes, we are still blessed here, even though we don't deserve it in the United States. Then we go on to verse 20. In his days, in the days of Jehoram, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. So Joram went over to Zire and all the chariots with him, and he went, rose by night and smote the Edomites which compassed him about, and the captains of the chariots and the people fled into their tents. Yet Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time, and the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And Joram slept with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David and Ahaziah his son reigned in his stead we always have this continuing progression of time here in Kings and Chronicles kings come on the scene they die, get a next one here and they always sleep with their fathers over and over and over again and that's what we're going to do one of these days well you go here uh, Joram it's also called, he's also called Jehoram. He had a technique that Stonewall Jackson used to use. Stonewall Jackson was known for surprise attacks. And uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson was com- compared to a leopard, swift and deadly and silent. And that's how it was. He would be upon him with his foot cavalry, And surprise attack. Well, that's what Joram did way back here. He came upon them at night and surprise attack on Edom and defeated them, but still didn't get Edom back as a tributary. Yet Edom revolted unto this day, unto the day this book was written. And then verse 23, it talks about the chronicles of the kings of Judah. The chronicles of the kings of Judah is first and second Chronicles. Those are the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And we have Ahaziah, his son, reigns in his stead. The problem is here, Joram dies, and Joram's wife is Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab. And so when the son reigns here, Ahaziah, the mother is still there, Athaliah, who brings much evil to the kingdom of Judah. Brought in by Jehoshaphat. And then finally, our last little section here, verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, begin to reign. Two and twenty years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. There it is. The daughter of Omri, daughter of Ahab. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to the war against Hazael, king of Syria, and Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded him. And King Joram went back to be healed, and Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him at Ramah, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the king of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Of course, it gets kind of confusing here. We got two different Jorams. We got a Jehoram, Joram in the north and a Jehoram in the south. And the Jehoram in the south has already died and now we got the Jehoram in the north here that's talking about here with Ahaziah. But you notice here, Uh, Ahaziah had a big problem. He had a, a mother who was Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, an ungodly woman, brought into the household by Jehoshaphat. So why would Jehoshaphat, a godly king, bring in this... It's been likened to bringing in a snake or a tiger into the house. He brought in this wicked woman, Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Athaliah, Jehoshaphat, the godly king, brings in this wicked woman for for the wife of his son. And, you know, the problem was, was that Jehoshaphat... We'll talk a little bit here about Jehoshaphat. We don't have a whole lot about Jehoshaphat in Kings. He's mostly covered in Chronicles. But here we have a little bit about Jehoshaphat. And we have that detail. For he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. That's why he was wicked. So Jehoshaphat, he had the principle of infiltration. He decided that he would make friends with the ungodly and try to influence them by getting in with them and trying to influence them. And he said, well, you know, how can we win them to the Lord if we don't get in right among them? Well, that was a bad principle. The Bible calls for separation. Separation from the wicked, not infiltration. And you go back to the separation back in the 1930s from the PCUSA. The Bible Presbyterian Church started back in the 1930s when Bible Presbyterians came out of the PCUSA. The PCUSA had gotten corrupt, and it was turning away from the Lord. They had a a thousand ministers signed a thing called the Auburn Affirmation, that it was not important to believe the five fundamentals of the faith. And so they had all this uh, rot in the PCUSA. And finally, uh, the men of the Bible, Presbyterian Church, said it was enough. And they separated. But there were a lot of people, good people in the PCUSA, that did not separate. And they had the principle of infiltration. That we're going to stay in the PCUSA and we're going to influence it for good and we're going to bring it back to the right way. Well, what happened? The PCUSA has just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. The PCUSA church in Middletown, Delaware, there flies the rainbow flag on it. And they have a transsexual on their staff. And, you know, it's gone down and down and down. And that infiltration didn't work at all. Even though there were godly men that stayed in and said, oh, we're going to influence it for good. But they didn't. And that's the same thing that happened here with Jehoshaphat. He he thought he was going to infiltrate and influence Ahab and Jezebel for good and all the ungodly. The problem being those people that stay in, they get swallowed up by the majority of the ungodly. They get swallowed up and they they have very little influence. It's like down in Brazil. In Brazil, you know, after the Civil War, I think I've mentioned it here before maybe, after the Civil War, uh, thousands of Confederates decided that they could not live under the Yankees. So slavery was still valid in Brazil, so they moved down to Brazil, and they founded a town in Brazil called Americana. And today, you can still go to the graveyard of that town and see Confederate flags on the, on the tombstones, and they have a, a celebration, celebration of their heritage once a year there. But you know, there's very little sign that the Confederates and the Americans were ever in Brazil. And their children, grandchildren look like just like everyday Brazilians. They speak Portuguese. They've been absorbed into the population. They were not separate. They, and so that's what happens when you're infiltrating. You get absorbed. And so the Bible tells us we need to separate from evil, separate from the ungodly. But the modern church, getting it down to our modern church, They believe in infiltration. And the great apostle of infiltration in the church, in the modern church, has been Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, he he was basically, I mean, I didn't really know that much about him, but it seemed like he was basically a good guy, personally, that basically he preached the gospel, that people got saved under his ministry, that basically he was okay. But he had this principle of infiltration. And he had this principle of not separating. And so he would work with anybody and everybody just to have big deals. And why? And Jehoshaphat had that problem too. Jehoshaphat was the Billy Graham of the Old Testament. And Billy Graham is the Jehoshaphat of, the, of today. And they think we're going to have big deals. Of course, Billy Graham's gone, but there's all kinds of other people today that have the same philosophy. And they think we're going to have big deals and we're going to get everybody together. But is God pleased with that? He's not pleased with it. And we're going to see that in a second here. But anyway, he's not pleased with it. But they want to have big things. We want to reach everybody. But then they unite with the ungodly. And you know, Billy Graham, he would unite with the liberals, he would unite with the Catholics, he would unite even with the communists. And he went over and preached in the churches there, in in a church or two there in Moscow, and in the Soviet Union, and uh, right under the nose of the communists, right when they were persecuting Christians, right when there were Christians in jail, when there were Christians being put to death, he was over there preaching for the communists, buddying up to them. And the communists used that. And they said, oh, look at, we have religious freedom in our life, because they're liars from the beginning. But they say, oh, look at the religious freedom we have. Look at, Billy Graham came here and preached. But you know, when Billy Graham came and preached, there were a few very daring Christians. And they got up in the balcony there, put up a sign, and talked about, we're being persecuted here in, the United, in, in Russia. And, of course, the police came in, the KGB came in and carted them off, and who knows what happened to them. But anyway, they gave it a witness there. And Billy Graham was say, basically saying that things were okay in, the, in communist countries as, because he went over there and preached. See, he, he, he made it look like they weren't so bad. He made it look like the liberals weren't so bad. He made it look like the Roman Catholic Church isn't so bad. But as he buddied up with them. Well, you know, the same thing happened with Jehoshaphat. Remember when Jehoshaphat was going to the battle in Ramoth-Gilead with Ahab? He was going with Ahab, and, and they were looking for a word from the Lord. And they had all kinds of false prophets came in and prophesied, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, or you're going to beat them. And, you know, Jehoshaphat had enough... Sense to know that they weren't true prophets. And he said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here besides? So then they got out Micaiah, who was a true prophet of the Lord. And they brought out Micaiah, and he told them that they were going to be defeated and they were going to be scattered on the hills. And Micaiah was then put in jail by Ahab, and Ahab says, keep him in jail until I return in peace. And of course, Ahab never returned in peace, so I don't know how long he was in jail. But anyway, the thing is, Jehoshaphat was right there and saw Micaiah being put in jail, doesn't have any evidence that he said a word about it, and let him be carted off to jail. Just like Billy Graham didn't say a word about those poor Christians there, being carted off to the KGB, they probably went to the uh, uh, doorway to hell, is what they call the KGB used to call the KGB office there in Moscow. They used to have a door in the KGB office. It's in the museum in Washington, the 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 spy museum there, International Spy Museum. But anyway, they have a model of it. But anyway, they had a door in the KGB office, and they had a stairway going down to the dungeon, and they'd interview there you there in the office and send you down to the dungeon, and it was the door to hell. Well, anyway, some of those Christians did go there, and maybe the ones that were there at the time of Billy Graham's preaching. But you know, Micaiah was carted off, and Jehoshaphat didn't say a word. He should have. And we know he should have. If you go over to 2 Chronicles, we want to take just a look at a couple verses. that gives us the commentary of God on it. Second Chronicles, here we have more of the history of Judah, more of the history of Jehoshaphat, but we'll just look at a couple verses here. Second Chronicles chapter 19, and verse 1. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. This is after the big battle of Ramoth-Gilead, where he went up with Ahab to the battle, and they were defeated here. But the Lord preserved Jehoshaphat preserved him through the battle, preserved him to come back in peace. And you know, he might have thought, well, hey, I'm coming back in peace. It wasn't so bad that I went with Ahab there to the battle, that I united with him. Well, what did God have to say about it? Look at the timing here. Right as he's coming back, God sends a prophet. Verse 2. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly, and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. But you know, here the prophet came and said, There was wrath upon thee from the Lord. Because you are believing in infiltration and not separation, should you help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? Well, the obvious answer is no. And Jehoshaphat, he had that problem all through his reign. He always he united with the northern kingdom with the ungodly. Uh, th- three times at least, that we have in the Bible. And he had this problem that he loved to have big deals. He wanted to get everybody together. But that's not God's way. God's way is separation. God's way it, is to be separate from the ungodly, from the, those that hate the Lord. And you know, the thing is, in our world around us here in Christianity in America today, you know, it's a very great state of apostasy today. People are turned away from the Lord. And it's pretty well is if you see anybody that has a big ministry with going to conferences and everything, you can pretty well mark it down. They have the philosophy of infiltration because that's how you're going to have a big crowd today. You're going to have a big crowd because everybody's welcome, because everybody participates, even if you do preach good things. But God doesn't want us to welcome everybody in. He wants us to be separate, and he says, Be ye separate. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Lord, we just pray that thou bless these thoughts to our hearts. And, O Lord, help us to learn the lessons from the Old Testament. Help us to learn the lessons from Kings and Chronicles. Help us to see thy divine commentary on what happened. Help us to see that thou didst say what thou didst think with the prophet coming forth. In Jesus' name, amen.